Benedict XVI has published his apostolic letter called Porta Fidei, or Door of Faith in English. This document officially calls for the Year of the Faith. Greetings, this is Father Jeff Kirby. And this is Valerie Soup. And we are opening the Porta Fidei. The Door of Faith, the show that explores the catechism of the Catholic Church in light of this year of faith. In our show today, we're going to be discussing number 170 and 171, the catechism of the Catholic Church. So these numbers in the catechism are looking at the language of faith. And we're going to look at how the church teaches her children this language of faith, how to talk about faith. And I was just thinking about growing up in my family I know for me, it was my mother who taught us how to speak, how to address people within the family, whether it be my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, um, my teachers at school, people in the church who are leaders or authority figures. When we're kids, we don't know how to speak. We have to be taught. (laughs) (laughs) That language, the language of respect. I have an older sister, and for a while, it was the two of us until my brother came along. I remember we would have certain days that were our special days of girl time. My mom would make this fun for us. So Uh, we would have tea and we would uh, have like a proper tea and we would pretend that we were proper English ladies. (laughs) And she would teach us manners in this fun way of we got to pretend and, you know, use our imaginations. But she would teach us how to speak with respect so too with the church. The church has a language of faith that she oh, teaches yes, she to does. us. <laughs> what oh. do you think, Father Kirby? Oh, you are singing the song I'm listening to, Valerie, <laughs> because uh, when someone's learning English or, mm-hmm. you know, years ago I was learning Italian. I know you speak French. There's always that sense of, am I saying this right? Yeah. Is this kind of, is this have a connotation that I don't right. understand? Uh-huh. Or, But it's always enjoyable when someone's learning English and then they say something that is correct but, oh, we just don't say it like that. Right. Like, for example, what do you want? I mean, that is a completely acceptable way to say it linguistically. Like, what do you want? But no, we wouldn't speak like that. We would give some lead in like, oh, how you doing? Um, can I help you with something? We would learn the language of our of our society, of our culture, and we would express certain things. And certain verbs we know we wouldn't use because they might have double connotations. And so on. So it's always enjoyable when... <laughs> Yeah, when you have somebody that speaks a foreign language, they're so abrupt. And it's just like, wow, we just don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. But the language is right, but not right. Right. You know, so the faith has that same language. And we have to understand that, that our culture, our families, we have customs, we have language, we have a way that we approach one another. And part of understanding that is being a part of it. So the church has a language. The church has a way of life. The church has a culture. And for example, that nasty, mean word, dogma. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? People are like, no, not dogma. Right. 
it's like it's just dogma chill out right but people misunderstand that word and it's like well what does that mean like it just seems so you know definitive or close-minded or narrow oppressive yeah yes yes Mm -hmm. you know it's just what's going on here but dogma is just a really fancy word of saying that we have a very clear language and how we express something and that's important for us. So words mm-hmm. like incarnation, transubstantiation, Eucharist, canon, these words mean something to have a great depth. And we understand when we say them in the community exactly what they mean, how they're to be used, and so mm-hmm. on. And for someone who is maybe away from the faith or who is just approaching the faith or someone who maybe just is not very catechized, it can sound very peculiar. Like, why are we using, why this word? Why can't I use it this way? Well, it's like, well, this is a family. The church is a family. This is our culture. This is our language. This is how we express it. This is how we've always expressed it in this way as a particular people with this faith. As you're saying that, Father Kirby, it reminds me of a Bible study you were actually leading because you were just talking about the history of the church and reminding us of how certain of these words came into being for the first several hundred years of the church, we were just constantly being persecuted and killed off. So we didn't really have time to to sit around around and figure (laughs) out, you know, how to explain the faith. But then once the bloody persecution stopped, then the early church got together and said, okay, how are we going to explain the faith to the rest of the world in a way that they'll be able to understand it? I don't, know if people realize the history behind those words and realize how much those words were fought over and how there's so much meaning packed into a single word. For example, just here in English, we would say, you know, with the the, the famous uh, I before E except before C kind Uh of thing, you uh know, we can understand that, well, you know, the placement of one I or one E, one letter. Well, in the ancient world, the difference between biblical faith and between Arianism which ultimately denied that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the difference was one iota. Mm. Someone says, what's an iota? It's basically one letter in the Greek alphabet. One iota. And and of course, that's the popular expression, one iota. Uh That's where it comes from, that the difference between right teaching and error was one letter. And as you were saying, people fought over that. So when we have these words that we have now, in one sense, we can say these words are canonized. Mm. And of course, we usually use that when we're speaking about saints and so on. I use it here more poetically in the sense of these words are chosen by the church and these are the words we're going to use to express this reality because they completely hold the reality because that's it. The proposition, the explanation is the reality. No, please. But because that's the best word the church has to express this reality. And in fact, that's almost what the church tells us in number 170 of the Catechism of the Mm. Catholic Church. It reads, we do not believe in formulas, but in those realities they express, which faith allows us to touch. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) I I like that whole thing, but particularly towards the end there, because our discussion throughout the show, we've talked about things being tangible Mm -hmm. and the faith being tangible. We don't believe in these formulas, but in the realities they express, which we can touch by faith. The Eucharist comes to mind. Transubstantiation. So we don't believe just in the formula of transubstantiation, but the reality it expresses that Jesus Christ becomes really and truly present. And it's precisely by faith that we're able to approach and touch him. Or how about Theotokos? And that we actually have the Virgin Mother of God. We can see her in Our Lady. 
Here's another Greek word. And yet we have this reality of Theotokos wow, meaning mother, mother of, of God. God. And even as you just illustrated the point where, and that was a great catch value. Maybe some of our listeners don't know that word. And, and for me, I just, oh yeah, Theotokos. But in the community of faith, yeah. if we know our faith, mm-hmm. we've been able to study it or mm-hmm. te- you know, learn it, then we understand that. Oh yeah, Theotokos, yeah, mm-hmm. mother of God, of course. Part of this new evangelization is explaining these words. As we're talking about this language of faith, and it's this beautiful gift that we're able to express these realities through these certain words. But if you're not familiar with the words, then they can be very isolating to people who don't understand them. So we need to be sensitive to that and not completely do away with them, but explain them so that they can be appreciated. Absolutely. In fact, it's funny, a few years ago, I was reading this article and they were saying that many people, when they're given the explanation of Christian doctrine, Mm -hmm. will agree but if they're just given the words, then they either say do not believe or not sure or so on. And what the conclusion was is that many people just don't understand what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't understand what we're talking about. Yeah. And so exactly what you're saying, that, that call the new evangelization to begin to explain, to begin to allow uh, people to Understand. Oh, you mean that word means this yeah, reality? Yeah, just breaking it down. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not dancing, exactly, but... exactly. Right. But I think it's it's very important for us to understand that and to ask ourselves how would we explain these simple words that people ask. So mm-hmm. if someone asks us, "What is transubstantiation? What is incarnation? What is the Eucharist? What is theotokos?" Mm-hmm. That we would be able to say, "Oh, well, let me explain that to you." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is that is huge because. Most people do not have the language right now, which is why number 170 to 171, the Catechism of Catholic Church is very important for us because we do have a language for it. We don't just make this stuff up because Mm. we can run the risk of misunderstanding or false teaching or confusion. So number 170, as we've already quoted, says that we do not believe in the formulas, but in the realities they express, which we can touch by faith. But then it goes on and quoting St. Thomas Aquinas, talking about bringing in the big guns, here we go. (laughs) says the believer's act of faith does not terminate in the propositions, but in the realities which they express. What realities are they expressing? Ultimately, we can sum it all up in God. We have all these formulas, but our faith does not terminate with them in these propositions, but in the realities which they express. Mm. And that ultimate reality is, of course, God. God. But we also keep in mind and we know that God is ultimately greater. Yes, I know we've spoken on the show before about that apophatic tradition where whatever we can say about God, God is infinitely more. Well, oh, man, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> a great great act of humility. These are inspired words. So it's mm-hmm. not as if, well, this is the best we can do, but you know, and we might not have it right. It's like, no, th- these are right. These are accurate. This is all we can have because this is all that God has given, and this is where we are. But these are very important words, very yes. important formulations, one in three, mm-hmm. you know, Eucharist and so on. To, we can understand what God has done. And the point of this entire part of the catechism and of the show is that as we enter the community of faith, we have a language and we have an understanding. We have a way of life. It's very important for us, you know. But I will say at the end of number 170 of the catechism of the church, it says all the same, we do approach these realities with the help of formulations of the faith, which permit us to express the faith and hand it on, to celebrate it in community, to assimilate and live on it more and more. So we realize God is more, 
and infinite, yet these are, in a sense, the customs and the and the language of our family. And it's precisely by having that that we can begin to live that family, to celebrate it, to share it, pass it on. These dogmas give us access to the reality of God, and it's in them, it's in assimilating them into our lives so we are able to really live the faith. So we need them and they and they nourish our faith. And we're able to understand more of God. We're able to dive deeper into that reality. A couple months ago, visiting a college campus, they were using one of the local parishes for their mass. And, okay. and I was speaking with the college students. One of the college students mm-hmm. asked me what the gold box was oh, gosh. up front. Okay. You know, and I, of course, referenced the tabernacle. There's one of our words, the yeah. tabernacle. And there's a gold box. I'm like, what gold box? And, and I wasn't trying to be difficult. Like, what do you mean? And they said up there. And, of course, they were pointing to the tabernacle, which yeah. is a gold box. <laughs> right? right. You know, but, but we would never <laughs> think of just describing it so physically. So I said, well, you know, that is the container, the, the holder of the consecrated host, the Eucharist. That is the holder of God's presence on earth. You know, yeah. so this is very important. They said, Oh, oh like well so like what we do at Mass. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly what we do at Mass. And they said, Oh, oh, okay, so God's up there. I'm like, Yes. <laughs> All right, good. You know God's what I mean? Up it's there. like yeah. we we got it. But but it it was painful. <laughs> no, but that's a great point to illustrate that those of us who are living in the church, we need to be able to explain it in terms that people can understand. Yes, yes, absolutely. We have to be able to, as, as we keep stressing, be able to explain this because it's great for us to have our language. It's great that we have this canonized mm-hmm. language that we have. But this language and this culture should never be a cause of exclusivity where well, how could he not know, how could she not know, and use it to ostracize people, belittle people, isolate people. This language is meant to invigorate, to include, to make all things inclusive so that we can know what God has revealed. And I think once we begin to understand that, we can reapproach that word dogma. You know what I mean? I can say, mm-hmm. wait, what is dogma? Well, dogma is just the formulations of these principles. God became a man, three persons in one God, and so on. So we can begin to say these dogmas and begin to understand our Blessed Mother was assumed body and soul at the end of her earthly life. There's a dogma. Mm-hmm. And so rather than approaching that and saying, it's, it's so heavy and burdensome and static and unmovable and so on, instead it becomes, well, here's a foundation, here's an anchor, here is something that inspires my faith and my imagination, here's something that I can hold on to, that even when things start to get a little crazy and, and I don't know which way is up or what is right or what is wrong, I can hold on to this. And there isn't confusion, and I know that God is here, Mm. and I can know God through these formulations, through these words, this language that we're speaking about. Yeah, I love that image of the anchor, the anchor for the soul. It really is just such a comfort to know that we have that. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, that's number 170, but the catechism is definitely not done with us and takes us to uh, 171. And it's interesting because... Number 171 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church starts with a quote from 1 Timothy describing the church as the pillar and the bulwark of truth. I think that's just so important because for some people, they may not even realize that's in the scriptures, that what is the pillar and the bulwark of truth, the holder 
of truth, the carrier of truth. Most people in our culture might say, well, I am the individual believer, but actually the scriptures tell us it's the church. In fact, it doesn't even say that the pillar and bulwark of truth are the scriptures themselves, but rather the church. The church in giving us this teaching about our language, about our understanding of dogma and of teachings and so on, will take us right to the scriptures themselves to say, well, the scriptures testify that the church is this authority. And then, Father Kirby, the catechism continues in saying that the church faithfully guards the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The images that are coming to mind, the church being the bulwark of the truth, and then that she faithfully guards the faith which was delivered to the saints and thinking about a fortress, you know, and when there's war going on and inside the fortress it is safe or thinking of that anchor that holds the boat steady when all the waves could be tossing it about every which way and that the church is there holding to the truth. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, and then this fortress that both protects and defends yet also sends out yes. and commissions and so on, you know, and, and, and that great paradox that, that is a part of just our, our Christian way of life. But it's interesting because reading from there, the Catechism will go on to say that the church guards the memory of Christ's words. It is she who from generation to generation hands on the apostles' confession of faith. Now, I just love the idea that the church guards the memory mm. of Christ's teachings because we forget that before these things were written, that they were lived. Mm. They were lived. So the memory was what the community celebrated, the memory of Christ. Hey, do you remember when Jesus said this? Do you remember when Jesus said that? Do you remember when he did this? And it was passed on orally. And the scriptures are just a recording of that memory of his teachings. Now, why I like that is it just makes the teachings of the church and this language we're speaking about so much more active, so much more dynamic, so much more familial well, can I say tangible? <laughs> you yeah. know? So it just becomes very much right there. And it's she who from generation to generation hands on the Apostles' Confession of Faith. Like, that's just amazing. That right there is when we talk about sacred tradition, which we've mm -hmm. done in our show before. That's what we're talking about right there. We can choose a creed mm -hmm. to follow the creed, or we can choose chaos. And there are so many people in our world that choose chaos. And as you look at human history, especially since the coming of, of Jesus Christ, we can allow these formulations of faith for this language to be a part of our lives, to give order to our sentiments, mm -hmm. to our expression, to our virtue, that now we have this help and we can see what it's done in the past in dark times in human history when the gospel was the only light or in times of great turbulence when everything seemed to be up for grabs and it was the church and the gospel that was the guiding principle, the source of stability. And as the Carthusians say, they're one of our religious orders in the church, as the world spins, the cross stands firm. And that's true. And as we hear that, we've got to like, yes, like as the world spins, the cross stands firm. And we've seen that and we see that continue and will continue in the, in the life of the church. Right now, the church is under so much attack. I mean, from her teachings on sexuality, from women's issues to everything under the sun. And there are some people that believe, well, you know, maybe this is the end of the church. <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. to laugh at that, right? Right. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess we're, the Catholic Church is going to check out 2013. You know, it's like, uh, no. 
like we know that from generation to generation, she will continue mm-hmm. to do what she's always done, which is to live, to celebrate, and to pass on what Christ gave to the apostles. Powerful reality. Imagine all these children playing on a cliff. This cliff has no fence around the edge. And so if there's no fence around the edge, all of these children are going to huddle in the middle. They're going to be afraid of falling off the cliff. Whereas if you put a fence around the edge of that cliff to where they know that they can play and run and jump around and they have no danger of falling off the cliff, then they will experience truer freedom because they're able to run around and play and be free. When we have the church giving us these dogmas and also giving us the teachings on the moral life that we're being attacked for, it's the church coming in and saying, no, like this is who you are. This is what you were made for. You were not made for this. You were not made to abort children. You were not made to use contraception. And it's placing that fence there within that boundary. We can live full lives where we're free. Absolutely. To say that someone wants the gospel but not the rules mm-hmm. would be like saying that the person enjoys driving but they don't like traffic laws. Yeah. You know, because we all know, I mean, there's some crazy people out there who have driver's license. And <laughs> thanks be to God for the laws, those lines and those red lights and those stop signs. They help things to be ordered. And we can drive, we know where we're supposed to go, how we're supposed to go there, when it's our turn, when it's the other person's turn, and so on. And if we can understand that in regards to traffic laws, we can, then certainly we can understand that in regards to the faith. Like, this is salvation. This is big time. Yeah. Like, forever. And we definitely have to take it seriously. And the role of the church, like, she's going to be there. She's going to continue to teach. And some generations have accepted her. And great things have happened in culture. Mm -hmm. Magnificent things, whether it's cathedrals, or great outreach to the poor or Catholic school systems, great things happen. And then there are some cultures that just wage war against her. And the church continues and, and will hold that line and will continue to pass on what Christ has given to the apostles in the language and in the way that we've done it. And it's a great privilege for us, and especially for our listeners to understand that, that it is a great privilege for us to be a part of this, this body of Christ that goes through time and space until the end of time. We can think of the parable of the talents when the master entrusts um, his servants with talents and he expects them to do something with it. And so we can draw that principle that to whom much has been given, much is expected. Amen. (laughs) I like it. And we being in the church has been have been given a lot and we have a great responsibility to share that with the world. And that is the call for the new evangelization and also the call of this year of faith that we go out and repropose the faith to the world, to the modern world. Excellent. I'm liking that. Absolutely. Yes, 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 and yes. To those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to Porta Fidei, the show that explores the catechism of the Catholic Church during this year of faith. And we are looking at numbers 170 and 171. And I want to go to the end of 171, Valerie, which Great. is, of course, an image that you've used before on our show. And The Catechism says, as a mother who teaches her children to speak and so to understand and communicate, the church, our mother, teaches us the language of faith in order to introduce us to the understanding and the life of faith. She saves the best for last sometimes, doesn't she? I mean, the (laughs) church just gives it to us. Like, using that beautiful image, I think of growing up, I can remember, you know, like, mom knew, like, when it was the gentle smile, 
was enough or the stare I used to hate. There were times <laughs> I was convinced that there were lasers in the back of my head. You know, I could be across a room and I feel this pain in the back of my head. It's like, what is that? You know, and I'd turn around and mom would be giving me the death stare. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was because I was oh, doing yes. something bad or something wrong, you know? So, you know, so whether it was a smile or the death stare, sometimes a slap on the hand or something, you know, she was teaching myself, my siblings, this is how we behave. This is how we conduct ourselves and so on. And the, and the church, in this very endearing passage, mm-hmm. she, she draws on that. The church gives us this image as a mother helps her children to understand and, and to appreciate life and so on. So the church, our mother, helps us in the same way in regards to the life of faith and the understanding of faith. And that's just, can I say precious? I mean, that's just yeah. endearing. I hope that's tugging at the heartstrings of our listeners, just how the church teaches us so that we can most fully and most closely live that friendship with Christ and with the rest of his body in this family. It really is a family. Yes, and that's how it has to be understood. Otherwise, when we take language or culture or these aspects out of that understanding, then that's when we get the misunderstanding. Well, it's just rules or just this language that nobody understands or it's these customs that we have to follow. I can't just do whatever I want and so on. But when we put it back in the family environment, yes. back in that setting, which really, I mean, St. Paul calls the church the household of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a strong s- sense of family mm-hmm. in the church. Better be, right? Yeah. And then suddenly it makes sense. Oh, okay, yeah. Take my elbows off the table when I'm eating. You know, don't interrupt an adult when they're speaking. Um, all these things that from our earthly life, from our earthly families, we can understand. And now we put them in culture of the church would be in there and say, oh yeah, okay, that's the Eucharist. Oh, okay, I should show reverence. I should whisper when I'm in church. I should genuflect before I sit down. I have to remind myself that I'm in his His presence and so mm-hmm. on. And suddenly these things make sense. Like, why do I have to do that? That's stupid. Why you know? Why can't we do that? Why Why can't we change this and so on? So, well, we can explore things if they have to change, if something else could help us grow better. But this is what we've received and this is what's been working So as long as it keeps working, this is what we do as a family, as a community of faith. Right. We have to stop thinking about, you know, the church or even God as master and we as slave. God is not a master. The church is not a master. But we have to, as you said, think in terms of that family. So instead of that master-slave relationship, it's that God is the father. We are the children. The church is our mother. We are her children, That, that family. And that's such a difference. It's so key and crucial to understand it as that family dynamic. Absolutely. I know that, you know, some of our listeners might say, well, you know what, I, I came from a really bad family and my mm. father wasn't like that. And my mother wasn't like that. And, and certainly we understand that, Valerie. And we're speaking about a good mother, a good father, you know, and, and certainly our human parents, they're, they're weak, they're human beings. Maybe they couldn't be what they were called to be. And we can understand that, show them compassion. But more importantly, in regards to the point we're making here, we can understand what a good mother and a good father are called to do. And that's certainly how, how we're Definitely. speaking in regards to the family. So it's very important as we talk about this language of faith, how we speak, why we speak this way, why it's important for members of the church to understand it. Very important. And that's why all this is important for us as we've been looking at number 170 to 171, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Valerie, I love the Catechism of the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'd have to agree. Honestly, this year, we've for the year of faith, 
we're celebrating that 20th anniversary of the catechism. So we've been looking at the catechism more. And I know just for me personally, I have read more of the catechism in the last few months than I have, you know, in the last few years. And I have just been so impressed, if I could say, or just really like delightfully surprised and to the point of having that feeling of, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I've been missing out on this. Um, There really is a lot of richness and depth there. There's also a lot of practicality of the church understanding what we go through. And I think the catechism I found is much more accessible and easy to read than I once thought. You just have to, you know, it takes a little bit of practice, but once you get mm-hmm. into it, it really has a lot to teach us. Absolutely. Um, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed this, and I hope our listeners have too. I think so, and and, and I want to encourage our listeners. As you were saying, Valerie, the catechism is, is so readable. It's so approachable. So oftentimes people are like, oh, it looks so thick. It looks so you know, daunting. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so on. But just open it up. You've heard different parts of the catechism in our show as, as we've been exploring this for the year of faith. And we especially want to encourage all of our listeners to please keep reading the catechism of the Catholic Church because first, it's the teachings of Christ. Secondly, it's just great. It's just a great read. It is. And we, during the show, have wanted to give you an introduction. Um, if we tried to cover the entire catechism, I think we'd be here for like 50 <laughs> years. Um, so this is an introduction, and now it is up to you to pick up the catechism and continue reading and sharing our beautiful Catholic faith with others. And God has a lot of great things for you that he wants to show you and share with you. Let God reveal himself to you. Thank you for joining us on Porta Fidei. May God bless you and keep you. And have a peaceful day. This is Father Jeff Kirby. You can reach me at charlestonvocations.com as well as on Facebook, also Charleston Vocations. Hope you visit our website or visit us on Facebook. Thanks. And this is Valerie Soup. You can reach me at the website catholicyoungadultsofsc.com. That's catholicyoungadultsofsc for South Carolina.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter.